Heavenly Father, again, we come to you recognizing who you are, most importantly, who our Lord Jesus, your beloved son is, and therefore who we are in relationship to you, and all, all because of the sufficiency of your abundant grace and how you've called us by the word of power contained in the gospel and the good news of your grace. Father, thank you for overwhelming and uh, influencing our will that we might be uh, interested in receiving this precious truth and believing it and uh, gaining, therefore, benefits uh, eternally that are not here but are there and seem to be in such short supply in the world, even though, as you've revealed in your word, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. If only we could... uh, take you at your word and rejoice in the preciousness of it and the power of it transforming us and continuing to work throughout days that seem dark. Around us, there is a world in rebellion against you, Heavenly Father, and we uh, have only learned of that in a limited way, but you, of course, know it intimately, always, every day, every hour, every moment. And yet, Father, you choose to work in this way and to accomplish your perfect will in those in this world who, though they're sinners and therefore separated from you, are able by your great work to be drawn in saving faith. So, Father, we thank you for that and for the opportunity you give us to fellowship here. We thank you for the benefits and the blessings of the fellowship. We thank you for our opportunities to reach out to others. With some, Father, it's a great blessing because of the common faith. And with others, we're revealing to them what they have never known And Father, we pray that you'd open the hearts of those around us as we continue in that great privilege and ministry. Father, I pray for those that are suffering great loss. Have his questions answered and his heart needs met. And may this time with Sarah be a special Thing that changes lives forever. And Father, many, perhaps uh, others, not only ourselves here, but others in our group have experienced that hand of protection and, and blessing this week in a very special way. And I thank you, Father, for, for that, for intervening to protect us on, in travel and in other ways from many enemies. So, Father, we're so thankful and we just praise you for that. And uh, Wait on you and and look to see how you will work, because we know it'll be uh, a great work indeed. For all of the young people, Father, uh, and those older ones, too, that we love so much, we 
we just commit them to you and for your good care, Father. We know that without that, without intersecting in their lives with them as you did with us, uh, things would be totally different. So we pray, Father, that things would be totally different because you are working in each heart and mind in a special way for your honor and for your glory, Heavenly Father. Thank you now for the word, Father. Please open our hearts for it, and may the words that I share be a blessing. In Christ's name, and amen. Last time we began this section where Paul begins to be very specific about the threats uh, to the faith and well-being, spiritually speaking, of the believers in Corinth because of false teachers that have come in. He's mentioned it throughout the letter, but uh, he's becoming very specific and detailed in his uh, comments and exhortations. And I should say warnings, warnings. So uh, last time I <laughs> I used the word beware, uh, and i use it again today. Uh, beware of false apostles. Hear ye not them. <laughs> That's going to be Paul's strong exhortation to the Corinthians. And it's an exhortation for us, too. We should never forget that the work of the Lord is being opposed in every possible way that Satan is able. And he has many uh, supporters and followers many totally devoted to the evil one's desires. And what do they want to do most of all? They want to ridicule, they want to demean, they want to defeat, really, the work of God through his saints. In other words, through his children, ourselves. Uh, if we can be defeated in our witness for him, then Satan has at least won a temporary victory. He will never win the total victory. That's been always secured ever since Christ paid the full penalty for our sins, and Satan was not able to prevent it, no matter how hard he tried. And so it's not as if there's a big change that's occurred between then and now. We're all pretty much in the same situation that believers were in the first century. But there is a difference, and that is Satan gains experience every day. And he learns even more about human nature and how to use it to his advantage. Strange thing is that he seems to use the same tactics all the time as if uh, he doesn't need to modify those at all. Well, I guess his successes are great enough that he is encouraged still. But uh, last time we saw how Paul reached out again to the Corinthian church in a very, very personal way. And he revealed to them that his intention was to come, of course. And uh, he was sending some on before, Titus and another gentleman, to make sure that the offering that had been promised, that had been promised to be given for the poor saints in Jerusalem, that that offering would be properly collected. 
uh, and not any longer delayed. And so for us, it may seem like a strange dominating theme in the letter that the focus would be on gifts and offerings so often here. But of course, the grand theme of it all is really the uh, enemy's work and how he takes advantage of every situation and how aware believers should be concerning that. And I think that is a major issue we all face. We're not that concerned because the affairs and circumstances and burdens of the day often overwhelm us in ways that seem so critically important now when really what's most important uh, is in the spiritual realm, right? So Paul previously, and we looked at last time, he he tried to be always spiritual in his outreach to them, whether he was there in person, or he was for, I think, something like 18 months, uh, more often in Corinth than anywhere else in any other city. And also through his letters, he tried to be personal. He tried to be caring and loving and always spiritual and never carnal. And yet the false teachers made accusations wherever they could. And yet the fruit of it all, in fact, the whole church in Corinth could trace its roots back to Paul, the fruit of it was clearly of the Lord. So the the false teachers could not do more than to try to take advantage where Paul had already uh, had uh, great success and great uh, outreach with the power of God there in Corinth. The false teachers had nothing like that to recommend them. And Paul emphasizes those things in that section we looked at last time. And to set the stage for what we would like to focus on today, I'd like to just read uh, a few verses out of the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll start there in verse 1, the first verse in chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. And then in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So those words get us started well today. Enter into a marvelous, (laughs) an amazing, really, section of Scripture. I will read a couple more verses, though about grace, and these are in the next chapter after, we'll look in chapter 11 today and next week, but next time after that, Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 12 and get to these verses, which in a certain way summarize, I think, Paul's whole mindset um, as he writes this letter, because 
the truth of this gets reflected everywhere, right? So that's Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. So Paul sets forth himself in this fashion as an example, an example of how the Lord God can turn our weaknesses into his manifestation of strength. It is the strength of the Lord that is communicated through the weakness of our human vessel, right? He says that in so many ways in this letter. And uh, here in chapter 12, I think this particular statement of it, especially considering the context given there. Remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, he said. He dared, it seemed, to cry out to the Lord three times that it might be removed. It sounds like he was not of the mindset to ask God to remove every issue that came his way, but only some, and not continually. But in this case, three times, and the Lord spoke to him with these words we've just read, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In your weakness, Paul. <laughs> and of course, it was also true in the Lord. The Lord was crucified through weakness. So Paul was called into the fellowship of the Lord, and that involved entering into his weakness in a way that's quite challenging for all of us who suffer the same daily, right, the same weaknesses. And so we should be drawn to the Lord through this powerful word about this all sufficiency of God's grace, right? And so Paul is able to offer himself up as a special example, not not because of the great victories all the time, but of his weaknesses and how the Lord turned them from a disaster spiritually to a great success, right? And as he writes to these believers in Corinth, that is on his mind and heart, always. Now, when we are weak, we uh, suffer vulnerabilities that uh, bring us under the attack easily of the enemy, right? And that was true for Paul. And uh, he just determined that he would glory in it and boast in it rather than the alternative which ends up, of course, if we do not accept with thanksgiving what the Lord God has provided, then are we not in some way or other holding him accountable for our problems when he has said he's working all things together for our good. So to be very careful what our response is to trials that come our way. 
doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for his help. It doesn't mean that. We certainly should, but we should do it in the proper way. And he says the proper way is after Thanksgiving. Okay, so this brings us down to where I want us to be today. As we've seen already, the one issue that he continues to come back to constantly, the the other issue besides the false teachers and their effect in Corinth, is this issue of grace, grace giving and how it should be done. And Paul isn't changed this, changing the subject today either. Um, he continues that subject here, and I would just like us to begin with uh, the opening verses there in chapter 11. And the way we will do that is by asking Gail to begin our readings today with verses 1 through 3. The subject is the enemy of our souls is subtle and cunning. Beware. <laughs> uh, the enemy of our souls is subtle and cunning. Beware. The first point in our outline today. Gail, please read for us 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 3. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I might present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Thank you, Gail. Well, as I said before, Paul becomes very, very specific in reference to the false teachers and their dangerous work there in Corinth. And here the words couldn't be stronger, could they? How could they possibly be stronger than this? Uh, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. <laughs> I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, there aren't any stronger words than that, I, I presume, uh, than, than these. The apostle lists the challenges that believers face, with the greatest of them being either directly or indirectly from our great enemy, in fact, the Lord's arch enemy himself, the serpent, even Satan. Now, I would venture to say, probably correctly, that we go through life day by day and often do not consider how dangerous it is in that regard. We don't think maybe enough about how subtle the enemy is. And therefore, we do not consider properly the dangerous circumstances that we are in because we are surrounded by the satanic evil messaging system 
pummeling us with those evil messages continually. Is that not true? I mean, and are we in denial about the, the power of those messages? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I'm convinced of. If we're not in the word of God all the time, we will be deceived. We must be in the word all of the time, the word of truth, or we will be deceived. Because the enemy's messaging is that powerful. Notice here he singles out how it all began in the Garden of Eden. Now, Eve was created by our Lord God to be Adam's companion. And if the Lord God created Adam as the, you could say, the perfect man, right, in the very image of God, then how did he create Eve? So his standard couldn't have been higher, right, for Eve just like it had been for Adam. And yet, the serpent was able to infect her mind with words. Think about that. How could it be? Surely that must have been far more difficult than its ability to infect us. I mean, we <laughs> we have a fallen nature. She did not, right? <clears throat> Our nature has been fine-tuned by the enemy over many, many, many years, our entire lives, right? Even though we're believers, we still have the nature of sin dwelling within us. So I don't think I can more strongly communicate to you than I just have how vulnerable we are to Satan's lies. He was able to deceive Eve. He made something evil look good, and he did that in multiple ways. And as a result, the desire that came in her, her heart was for what was good, because that's all that was there at the beginning, was a desire for good, right? But he made what was evil look good and uh, deceived her. And she, uh, in the end, not only rebelled, but uh, led her husband in this on the same path of rebellion, right? Okay, so his example here is very, very powerful one. Notice that he calls the serpent the evil one. So the serpent was in the garden. We know that from Genesis because he's called the serpent there too, right? And I've just called the serpent Satan. How can we know that the serpent is, in fact, Satan, is, in fact, devil? The devil, because of Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and uh, chapter 20, verse 2, in both places. We read that. I'll read chapter 12, verse 9 for you. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with them, with him. So now the teaching is very concrete, very specific. There's no possibility for anyone who has an open mind to be confused about this. 
The enemy's lies are powerful, and uh, they have been from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning and a deceiver. And also, what is what do the lies lead to ultimately even merger, right? So the spiritual threat is very clear, and it's stated here powerfully. Enemy of our souls is subtle and cunning. Beware. That's not only a message for the Corinthians in this letter here, but it's for us today. The second point today, and I'll ask Linda to read in a moment those verses from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 4 through 6. The second point is that Satan's words may even seem to be spiritual in one sense of that word. Satan's words may even seem to be spiritual. Well, if so, they'll be really subtle and deceptive, right? For those that seek spiritual truth to hear it and then to be led astray because these are actually Satan's lies that seem to be spiritual. Okay, Linda, please read for us verses 4 through 6. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chief apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, for we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Thank you, Linda. Oh, that's a list. Those are the details, how the enemy works, what kinds of lies the enemy tells, what kinds of spiritual lies the enemy tells. So many today are saying when somebody mentions Jesus that, that you have to believe that person is of the Lord. Oh, really? No, not true. And what we see here is that many mention the word, the name Jesus. But as Paul identifies the false teachers here, he says the one that they're preaching is not the true and authentic Lord Jesus but one of another sort, a fake Jesus. Not the true Christ, actually, but a substitute, right? For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, and the Greek word there is one of two different Greek words. One Greek word means another of the same kind, and this Greek word here means another of a different kind, of a different sort. We have our English word heterodox uh, um, from that Greek word heteros. It means a different kind, similar, but different, critically, essentially different. Okay, so these, these false teachers were preaching a different Jesus, but were the Corinthians able to discern that difference? Paul says they must take note. Uh, that this was not the same Jesus that uh, he had preached to them and uh, through whom they had been saved. Okay, then he goes on. Not only another Jesus was being preached, but he says, 
another spirit, a different spirit, a spirit of a different sort as well. He says, whom you might receive, if you receive another spirit, a spirit of a different kind, which you have not received, praise God. And then he goes on to gospel. So you see how one thing leads to another. Yes, they preached the gospel. They called it the gospel of Jesus, but it was not the true gospel. Oh, my. Paul, who had taught them for 18 months, was concerned that they might be deceived even regarding the essence of the good news of grace. Well, how could it be? <clears throat> I mean, how often we hear the gospel, and it's not the true gospel, though it's presented as such by people who are have who have standing in the Christian so-called Christian community, right? So-called evangelical community. And if we read the rest of the letter and Paul's other letters, we know what the false teachers were doing. They were changing the gospel of grace into a gospel of works, of human effort. They were adding subtly things that uh, believers might be willing to accept because they were not well taught in the matters of grace. Okay, and he's going to go on here and say there's even another thing. <laughs> By implication, the the fourth thing would be that, you know, if they're preaching a different Jesus and a different spirit and a different gospel, they're going to have to preach a different apostle. They're going to have to hold themselves up as apostles and diminish Paul because Paul was the one promoting the truth, the true and authentic Jesus, the true spirit from God and the proper, true good news concerning the grace of God. So, wow, this is quite a message, isn't it? Very detailed, very specific, very powerful. It gets to the very heart of the issue. And uh, so we see the subject hasn't really changed, though, when we get to this next section, because Paul is now going to use the example again of uh, how grace works itself off in the area of giving, <laughs> amazingly, in the area of giving. And that gets us to the third section. I'll ask Elizabeth to read verses 7 through 12. The topic here in the third section is how Paul's testimony demonstrated truth that is uniquely Christ's. And this, this is very interesting because the false teachers, uh, through what Paul Rights here are revealed to be very subtly evil. And we need to take this message to heart, too. So, Elizabeth, please read verses 7 through 12. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed another church. I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. 
And so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now, this is a very interesting few verses here. You may have read these verses a few times before and thought, well, what is he talking about now? I mean, why does he bring this up? What does he mean when he says, I preach to you the gospel of God freely? Aren't all uh, the uh, teachers uh, remunerated by the ones they minister to? The answer is no. Though that is acceptable, Paul says in another place, they're worthy of their hire. But he says, I have not availed myself of that blessing. But I want to remove the opportunity for the enemy to make accusations. And so he wanted his testimony to be clean and pure in every possible way. And so he removes the opportunity for the false teachers to accuse Paul of mishandling the funds provided for his support, or in fact, of even the gifts and offerings from those that he is ministering to in any case, since he refuses to accept gifts and offerings from those to whom he ministers. That's his general policy. So he functions as a missionary being supported by other churches. Isn't that interesting? Oh, if only pastors today could uh, consider this uh, as a challenge for themselves. Oh, what a difference it might make, right? Instead of having pastors hopping from church to church nearly as fast as their uh, members uh, looking for a higher and, and, and better opportunity, in this world sense, they would be totally devoted to those to whom they ministered, right, as Paul was. Okay, and so the key word is the word freely there in verse number seven. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I've preached to you the gospel of God freely? What does that word freely mean in this context? Well, it's an adverb, and it means without a cause. Okay, without a cause. For example, Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, writes this. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is freely given. There are no strings attached. There's no merit with an obligation associated as a result. Paul writes very much about that in certain places in Romans. Romans, in fact, is the, the letter where this is one of the prime focal points, right? Now, grace is given freely, and so therefore those that receive grace should give freely in return. 
And here we see Paul setting forth himself as that example for the Corinthian believers. After all, he's asking them to give hilariously or from the heart freely, right? So he uh, gives them an example of himself in that regard. And don't think it was easy for him. Um, I don't believe for a while there he had the bare necessities even, and some had to come from Macedonia with uh, an offering to make the difference. And in other letters, he writes about that too. He also had his tent making that he was diligent with. That was another way he provided for his own needs. And so this is uh, held up by Paul as an example of how the enemy really subtly works. So what were they doing? The enemy was charging Paul with something. What what were they charging Paul with here? I mean, after all, he's not accepting um, gifts and offerings from them in Corinth. So how can they make accusation against him? Well, it says here, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. And... Therefore, I boast in verse 12, I will cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. Okay, so they were making the accusation to Paul that if he truly loved them, that he would accept their offerings. (laughs) Interesting, huh? Like they did. Well, it was standard practice in the Greek and Roman world that teachers uh, charged for their service. (laughs) It's the same today. When are people teaching you for free, right? Um, They seek to take wages of those who are being taught. And the better the teacher, the higher level, the more distinguished, accredited, whatever, the more wages they uh, receive for their teaching. Isn't that the way of the world, you see? And Paul says, no, uh, it is the way of the world, but it's not the way of God, okay? And so he says, these uh, in your midst who claim to be the great teachers, even claim to be apostles, they are demanding payment from you, and you, you must be feeling pretty good about it, Uh, accepting really the principles under which they operate in the world. And he says that's entirely unspiritual and contrary to the Lord God. And so he says, my love for you is true and real. Theirs is not. I love you with a perfect love, and loves are without regards, and therefore I offer my services in your midst freely and without any obligation. Oh, my. And he says these false teachers ought to do the same. Then he says, and I think this is really, truly precious. He says in verse 10, and I think this kind of uh, summarizes it all. As Paul saw it, it was the truth of Christ in him that was operating consistently always. So he says, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions 
of Achaia. So he gloried in this, that he didn't receive any offerings from the Corinthians. Now, you might wonder about that. How could that kind of boasting be godly? And I used to wonder about it, too. And many do accuse Paul today of of boasting and unspiritually in how the Lord had selected him and had uh, used him, uh, sort of promoting himself over others, you know, uh, in an unwise, unspiritual way. But the fact is that the Lord God had instructed Paul regarding this. And so he was following in the path of the Lord and walking with the Lord in these matters. And so he says, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting. Wherefore, because I love you not. He simply says, he doesn't belabor the point of how much he loves him. He simply says, God knoweth. Amen. That's quite a message, isn't it? Um, So let's keep it simple. He says uh, the simplicity is in Christ and the false teachers want to add all kinds of complications. Just keep it simple. And that brings us to the final point here today in verses 13 through 15. And uh, I'll ask Lydia to read that in a moment. The point here is that discernment between true apostles and false ones is desperately needed. Discernment between true apostles like Paul and the false ones is desperately needed. Okay, Lydia, please read verses 13, 14, and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. Oh, my, such great words. Stronger words could not be found by the Holy Spirit of God who inspired this letter. For such are false apostles. You know, he, he's not in any way giving them any excuse or covering up for their sin or saying, well, love covers a multitude of sins here. Well, no, not uh, all sins should be covered. Some should be exposed. And these are good examples of that. Those that claim to be apostles who are not. Those that work evil rather than good. Those that have put on a covering, that word transforming there in the original language. It means to cover up what's real so that it cannot be seen. So transforming themselves into apostles of Christ when they're really messengers of Satan. And he says, We shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised, Corinthians, that Satan would do this. Well, well, Satan does this sort of thing all the time. In fact, going back to the beginning, and I think many haven't taken these words literally enough, 
He is referring here to Satan at the beginning, and we can read about it in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, where Satan manifested himself as an angel of light. Well, he had a name given by God, and I'm not sure what that name was. Lucifer may have been the name he gave himself. I'm not sure. He was a light bearer, however, and uh, all spirit beings uh, should have known and I suppose did know that. He was created at the highest level, right, as the light bearer and watching over the throne of God. And he was not an angel. This is another thing so many don't take literally enough. He transformed himself. He faked it. He said, I'm an angel. And that enabled him to lead the angels astray, many of them. He wasn't an angel. He was a seraph. There are three kinds of spirit beings. There are the seraphim. There are the cherubim. And they, there are the angels, okay? Three classes of spirit beings. Satan is a seraph. He is not an angel. They have different responsibilities and are in many ways different. And you can see some of those differences reading in the book of Revelation and in the Old Testament. But Satan misled angels, uh, said, I'm one of you, and that enabled him to have an inside track on leading them astray, okay? And so he's that subtle. Satan transformed himself into an angel of light. And therefore, he says, it's no surprising thing, shouldn't be, if uh, his ministers are also transformed as the ministers of righteousness. In other words, changing righteousness into evil and evil into righteousness. Changing good into evil and evil into good. Oh, my that which is godly into that which is ungodly and vice versa, right? So with great subtlety, Satan leads astray whomever he can. Even the children of God are open for his temptations, right? But he says in the end it will all be made known and everyone will know who is who, <laughs> at the end there, the hidden things will be revealed. And so that is an exceedingly strong statement. At the end of this chapter, and we'll get to this tomorrow, or rather, sorry, not tomorrow, but next week, Lord willing, verse 30, Paul writes this to summarize it all. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. So the overriding theme is weakness made strong as we by faith walk by sight. No, not by sight, but by faith, right? And that verse says it so well. So that's what we've seen today. The enemy of our souls is really subtle. Beware, lest he lead you astray. His words may even seem to be spiritual when they are most thoroughly evil. Paul's testimony demonstrated the truth of Christ, though, and he is our example. And finally, truth.
true discernment between that which is false and that which is true is always needed. Does it strike home in our hearts? I hope and pray that it does. I hope these words are precious to you and draw you and that you reflect on them throughout the week and that we are made strong even in our weakness as we consider how God works graciously and always with that amazing abundance, the bountiful supply. It's a wonderful thing to know the Lord, is it not? Praise his name. Are there any questions or comments before we pray today? Um, I'll say this. Uh, you know, we're surrounded by false churches now, right? So we're yeah. kind of living in the same days. Yes. It was in the beginning, you know, it's crazy to think that. All the yep. uh, multimedia out there and people like us supposedly talking to our neighbors and people we meet. But I'll just say this, uh, the town of Acton is sponsoring, I think they're sponsoring, but it's at Nara Park. It's at a park where we have lots of um, theater and concerts and whatnot. And um, a drag queen show. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of put on as normal now. Where it's not normal. And as Christians, we need to make a presence felt to tell people that this is not the right way. And and the gospel message is of light and truth. And what they are participating in is the darkness of lies. So, yes, this is a good message to hear. And, and uh, we're going to be thinking about that that the next couple of weeks it's i think it's happening in june june third weekend in june something like that where is it again acton yes believers need to present the truth you're absolutely right about that jerry thank you for reminding us of that anyone else want to make a comment today let's pray heavenly father thank you thank you Thank you for this word of truth that's come forth to us that you've preserved, Father. We know the enemy would have destroyed these letters at the beginning if he could have or anywhere along the way. He would have perverted them to remove the power of the message of grace. But he was not allowed, Father, because we we all have desperately needed the words uh, that we've considered this morning. And Always will. So, Father, I pray that you'd always be giving us that discernment so needed that we'd be in your word, that we might partake uh, often of that spiritual food that's so necessary for spiritual life and uh, well-being. So, Father, thank you for each one here this morning and those that will listen later. And uh, may your blessing rest upon us in a powerful way and transform us that we might be the true messengers of light in this great darkness that continues today and will continue until, Father, your work here for us has finished and you call us into your very presence. So thank you, Father, and uh, may your every blessing continue always to rest upon us uh, by your wonderful grace. And we would ask this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God and enjoy the Lord all. What a blessing to be together. Have a great day in the Lord. And uh, 
We hope to hear your voices again soon. Great having you, Gail and Linda, Jerry, Elizabeth, Lydia, Louis, Patty. Enjoy the Lord, all. <laughs>